You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Well, good morning. That's on. Um, well, it's good to see everyone again this morning, and uh, again, welcome to those joining us online. I'm thankful that you are able to do that this morning. If you uh, are joining us, we encourage you just to, to send a note uh, saying you're online right now, and uh, I just let us know you're with us. And uh, we know for many of you, it's because of uh, health concerns that you're uh, not here, and so I uh, just want to continue to pray for you guys uh, in that regard, and uh, look forward to the day when we can all meet together. Well, uh, we uh, got into what we're calling gospel history last week, Romans chapter 4. As we did, we were looking at the fact that, that faith has always been the way. It was not a, it's not a new thing in, in, in Paul's theology. Paul didn't come up with it. Uh, long before Paul, there was Abraham. So we went back 4,000 years ago, and we looked at the faith of Abraham. Uh, we learned there that... Um, in Genesis 15, 6, that it was through his faith that uh, Abraham was credited righteousness. And uh, then we looked at David, uh, what David had to say in Psalm 32. And again, we're reminded that it was by faith that Abraham, or sorry, that David was forgiven his sins. And as we looked at the text, we also were reminded that um, the gospel is for all mankind. It wasn't just for the Jews, it's not just for the Gentiles, it's for all mankind, and ultimately it is by grace that we are saved through faith. And so that's kind of where we ended last week, we, so we went back 4,000 years, well today we're going to go right back to the beginning of it all. Uh, sometimes people ask, what's the meaning of life? You ever, anyone ever, you ever heard that question? What's the meaning of life? I think maybe now more than ever, people are thinking about that as our world kind of looks like, you know, somebody's taking it and going like this with it, right? It's, everything's been shook up in the last 10 months, and, and people are kind of like, well, why, why am I here? What, what's life really all about? And I would say, if you want to know what life's really about, then you have to think about how did life come about? Uh, if you want to know how to live life, you need to know the author of life. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the fact that God is the creator of all life. He always has been. He always will be. And that's really significant for you and I in 2021 as we try to figure out what is it that God requires of me? How am I supposed to live? What am I, what's the point of my life? Who am I supposed to be? And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning as we look at Romans 4, 16 to 25. But before we get into it, let me pray for us one more time. Lord God, we are so thankful that you are the author of life. We are so thankful today that, Lord, you not only created all life, but, Lord, you revealed yourself to us. Not just through the fact that, Lord, you created it all, but, Lord, you came and you lived on this earth. That, Lord, you not only came and lived, but, Lord, you lived a perfect life. Dying on a cross, Lord, that we might be saved. Lord, on the third day, we believe that you also rose again. And so, as your people today, we gather believing these things about you. 
But Lord, we don't want to just believe these things about you. Lord, we want to put our trust in you. Lord, this morning, as we gather, as we look at your word today, God, we pray that your spirit would lead us and guide us. Lord, we want to know truth. We, we, we don't want to just think we know something. Lord, we want to know it. And Lord, we're so thankful, Lord, that you've given us your word. And as such, Lord, we have a rock. We have something that is certain in this world. And so, God, as we study today, would, Lord, would you lead us? Would you guide us? Lord, where we need to change, Lord, would you change us? And may you be brought honor and glory in all things, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So Romans chapter 4, 16 to 25, I encourage you to uh, turn in your Bibles there or, or online, uh, your Bible app, whatever you need to do. But let's look at it together. God's Word is our authority. God's Word matters, as we're going to see over and over again in the text today. Uh, really, that is our only sure thing, God's Word. Uh, we get in verse 16, a verse that we ended with last week. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist in hope. He believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. As we looked at the text last week, we've seen that it's through faith alone that we are saved. God, why? Because God credits all righteousness, because God clears all debt, and because God calls all people. And as we continue this week, we see that God is the one who creates all life through faith. He creates all life through faith. So how does he do it? First, we see the source of our faith. If faith is to be effective, then you must believe in the right thing, Right? I think that's obvious. I can believe that I can fly. That doesn't mean that I'm going to be able to fly. You have to actually believe in something that is true. As we looked again at verse 16, we've seen that it's always been about faith. He's just finished talking about it. It wasn't about the circumcision. The circumcision was just a sign about what God had done in, through faith. The, it's never been about the law. It's been through the promise and then we see there that it rests on grace alone. Back in chapter, or sorry, uh, verse 5 of chapter 4, we've seen that it was through faith that God saves the ungodly. He saves the ungodly. That's really good news. Why? Because that describes all of us. 
We're all ungodly. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And through His grace, we are saved. It's not because we deserved it, but because of who God is, because of His grace and His mercy and His love, He's made a way that you and I might be saved. Not through works, but through faith. You could probably say that about a million times and we'd still be like, well, maybe still through works. I could maybe still somehow earn my way there. No, it is only through faith alone that you and I might be saved. So, how is it that we are saved? As it is written, and he talks about again, this, the, the kind of faith that Abraham had. As it is written, he said in verse 17, I've made you the father of many nations. This is what he's saying to Abraham. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. So he's quoted from Genesis 15. Now he's quoting from Genesis 17.5. And there it says, No longer shall you be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. He gives him this promise now at 99 years old. The other one had been made at 85 At 99 years old, he tells them, you will be a father of many nations, which shows us it wasn't always, right from the beginning, it wasn't about that he was going to be the father of the Jews, the the nation of Israel, but also of all people. So he says here that he believed in faith that this would come about. Now, we believe that God is able to do all that he says, just as Abraham believed that God was able to do what he said. What is it that you believe is true about God today? The fact that you're here today, I would say it's probably an indication that you believe that there is a God. That's a good start. Do you believe as well that Jesus was and is God's son? Do you believe that he lived a perfect life and then died on a cross? Do you believe that on the third day he rose again? All these things are necessary for you to believe if you are to have salvation. If you believe that he was a God, man of many gods, then you cannot be saved. If you believe that he died but did not rise again, then that faith will not save. Now, when we think about faith, is that enough just to believe? I believe it. I think it's true. Is that enough? Well, to answer that question, we could ask this. Does Satan believe the things that I just said? Well, he does. He knows that Jesus is God's son. He's been around for a long time. He knows that. He does know that Jesus lived on this earth, tried to tempt him in the wilderness. He knows all about him. He knows that he did die. He knows that he did rise again. He knows all those things to be true. And yet, I don't think any of us here believe that Satan is about to get saved anytime soon. So it's not just about believing some facts. There's something more to that. So what does saving faith look like? MacArthur puts it like this, saving faith moves beyond believing that and arrives at believing in. It moves beyond mentally assenting to the truth about Christ and arrives at personally 
trusting in Christ and depending on him for forgiveness of sins and reconciliation to God. So it's not just about believing some facts. It is saying, I am putting my trust in him. I'm putting my faith in him. This is what saving faith looks like. And for Abraham, that was the case for him as well. He believed that what God's word said was true and then put his trust in him. Just as we've seen Abraham in Genesis 15, that Abraham believed here, we, again, we see that he believed in Genesis 17, just as he did in Genesis 12. We see this pattern in Abraham's life when God's word says something, he believes it, and then lives accordingly. In Genesis 12, we read this, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Where is he going to go? To the land that God will show him. Not many of us are signing up for that. Can you give me a clue? Where is it? Right? But that's what he does. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And it says this, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him. That was at 75 years that he, 75 years old that he left Haran. Ten years later, in Genesis 15, he's told that he's going to have as many descendants as the stars in heaven. Genesis 17, now he's 99 years old, 14 years after the first promise, and he's told that he's going to be a father of a multitude of nations. Abraham believed. All these years later, how could he believe? What was the key to his belief? Well, we see it here in these verses, or in this verse here specifically. He believed this, that the one who made the promise, God, he is the one who gives life to the dead, as it says in verse 17, and calls into existence the things that do not exist. First, he calls life to the dead. Our God is the creator of all life. When Jesus lived on this earth, he gave many examples of the fact that he is able to raise the dead. In the Old Testament, we see God raising the dead to life. We think of the widow who lost her son, but was, that child was raised to life. Jesus, even his friend Lazarus, who had been dead for many days, God raised to life. Jesus raised to life. So we see that, but we also understand this. As we've been reading the book of Romans, that we have all been dead spiritually, and God raises us to new life. He is the author of life. He is not only that, but he calls into existence the things that do not exist. How does that happen? Well, if you look back to Genesis 1, it says that God spoke and it happened. Genesis 1, 3, and God said, let there be light. And guess what? There was light. He made, it's what the theologians call ex nihilo, right? He created out of nothing the things that are. We can learn a whole lot from science. We can study and we can look at all these things. But at the end of the day, there's going to be a limitation in what we can learn. Because when God speaks something out of nothing, that kind of messes with the whole science thing, right? 
When you create of nothing, it's pretty hard to observe that. Thinking about God's creative power, Jeremiah says this, Jeremiah 32, 17, Oh Lord God, it is you who made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. That's really important for you, to, for you and I to remember in 2021. We serve a mighty, powerful God. How is it that Abraham, despite his circumstances, could believe what God was saying? Because he knew who God was. He knew that he was powerful and that he could make life even where there was death. God is the God of life. He created all that we have in this world, the universe that they're still you know, sending on many, it doesn't matter how many telescopes and satellites and whatever they're going to, whatever they do to observe this world, it's all made by Him. It's all made by Him. And even despite the curse that we see in the world, we can still see it is really good. Anyone see the sunrise this morning? So beautiful, so incredible, right? Like, so, like, like, he does that. He created it all, and he's sustaining it all. Genesis 3 to 11, we see that sin came into this world. The curse result of that. Romans 8, 18, we read that the creation is still groaning because of the curse. But back to Genesis 12, we see that God intends blessing, and he brings life and he is continuing to, to work out his plan and to bring life. Sometimes we think about faith as blind faith. Anyone ever say this? Well, it's kind of it's just blind faith. Well, kind of, but kind of not. I mean, when you think about this whole world, this really only is the only thing that makes sense of it. Right? Stop puts it like this. The description of faith as reasonable, comes as a surprise to many people. Since they have always supposed that faith and reason were alternative means of grasping reality and mutually incompatible. Is not faith a cinnamon for, sorry, cinnamon for superstition? Is it not an excuse for irrationality? The case is, no, that's not the case. Now, until you come to faith in him, everything just like, none of it makes sense. But once you come to him in faith, then it's like, oh, this all makes sense. We can see what? We can see that we're getting closer to the end, can we not? Even people without faith, I think, are seeing that right now. There's something, we're, we're being led up to something. We see that the God over all is the God who's over history. And he's the God over today. And he's the God who is over all that is to come. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the first and the last. That means that he was there at the beginning. He's going to be there at the end. And he's over all in between. He is over it all. And so as we think about our faith in him, we need to think about whether our faith is one that saves MacArthur says this, saving faith is preeminently an eager embrace of a person, a wholehearted, delightful reception of Christ for the fullness of who he is, namely the source of all righteousness, life, and satisfaction for the newborn soul. As we think about 
all that we are, we're going through in these days, we need to look to Him and Him alone. The question, I, I just love the songs that Joel picked this morning. There, there's so many of them like, man, that's just perfect for what we're going to be studying this morning. Like, do you love Him? That new song that we, we, we sung this morning, do you, do, you, do you sing out from your heart, I love you, Lord. I embrace you. You were enough. I place my trust in you. Just as Abraham placed, it, placed his trust in God to do what he said he would do, do you believe that when you place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that you are saved? That you are, that you are no longer chained to your sin? Do you believe everything that he says in here for your every day? When God speaks, do you listen? Well, I don't know, Pastor. I've, I've never heard him speak. Yeah, you have. It's right here. This is his word to us. And so just as God gave his word to Abraham, and Abraham believed, the question is, when God speaks to you, do you believe and walk accordingly? You're here today if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're here today because you believe what the Word said, Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. Is this your source of faith? Now sometimes people are like, well, I'm not really believing the Bible. I'm believing God. Well, they're the same thing, right? God's Word represents who He is and what He is telling us, Right? He's revealed himself through Jesus Christ, and he's revealed to himself in these words. And so, to believe this is to believe the God who said what he said. And when he says something, do you believe that he is faithful to do what he says? Do you believe that today? And not only is he faithful to do it, but he has the power to do it. That's why he looked at the fact that he is the God who can create life out of death. He is the God who speaks things into existence that were not there. And when that's your focus, then you can say, God, if I keep my eyes on my circumstances, I'm going to get really messed up. But if I look to you, everything's going to change. That leads us to our next point, the sanctification in our faith. The sanctification in our faith. Now, just a reminder of what justification is. Justification is a legal declaration that you are right with God. I, I read a good illustration of that this last week. We, we make legal declarations all the time, right? A good legal declaration that may, many of you would understand is a legal declaration that you are now husband and wife, right? Everybody know how's it, how's it work, right? Everyone... Is seated like this. The groom gets to the stage somehow. Nobody really cares how he gets there, but he's there. And then, and then, you know, the bride comes. Everyone stands. The bride comes. They have this ceremony. And at some point, the, the minister, the pastor will say this, I now declare you man and wife, right? Husband and wife. God is joined together. Let no man separate. He's declared it, and as such, they are now husband and wife. Now, the crazy thing is, I don't know if you, what you was going through your mind that day, but is this kind of a surreal thing? You came in 
a single person, right? Right to this point, you were single. But as you walk out, you are now married. In some ways, nothing has changed, right? Your character hasn't changed as a result of those few moments, right? You, you, you don't look different. Hopefully you have a smile on your face. I don't know, hopefully you had it before too. But, but you leave and really there's not much has changed. But at the same time, everything has changed. Everything has changed. Your whole life, your whole trajectory has now changed. You will now live together. And you will make your decisions based on that legal declaration that was made. So too it is for you and I who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have been legally declared that you are now right with God. And when people look at you, you're like, it doesn't look any different. And sadly, let's be honest, the next day you probably still don't look a whole lot different. But everything has changed and the course of your life will be forever changed. That's sanctification. Where you become more and more like him. And as I was reading about Paul's account of Abraham, I kept thinking about, like, I've read Genesis. Like, I read Genesis 12 right through to the end. I, I know about this guy Abraham. And, and Paul, you're making him look really good. And, it, and I kind of was wrestling with this, like, okay, well, what, what should be said here? Because... I know that maybe sometimes Abraham didn't do what he was supposed to do. And then I was like, just kind of like one of those epiphanies, like, oh, kind of like me. Kind of like me. I mean, let's just go through the story real quick about maybe some of the wrestling, some of the growing that Abraham had to have. Even back to Genesis 12. Hey, leave your family, leave your land, and go. The go part went well, but who's tagging along with him? Lot. Nephew Lot comes with him as well. How'd that turn out? Problems as a result of that. Genesis 15. Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants like the stars in heaven. He believed. It's credited him to his righteousness. But the days go on. Still no baby. Well, uh, what about this? There's my servant Hagar here. Uh, Abraham, why don't you try to have children through her? Now, really interesting if you think about it. Why have they not had children yet? Do they know? I don't think they probably know. Is it Abraham's issue? Is it Sarah's issue? Well, we find out the issue was more with Sarah. And now a baby is born. And how did that all go? Any problems result of that? Yeah, some, some problems for sure. Now Genesis 17, the promise that we just had here. He's 99 years old. What's the initial reaction? Sarah, what did she do? She laughs. For real? Like at 90 years old, I'm going to have a child? She laughs. Abraham just says, hey, hey, hey. God, um, I got this other kid, Ishmael. Let me just read it for us. Genesis 17, 17 to 19. 
Then Abraham fell on his face, face and laughed and said to himself, Shall I, a child, be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. <laughs> really good idea, God, but let, let, let it come through Ishmael. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Isn't it really awesome that our God is a God who fulfills his promises despite us many times? Right? No, 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 no. We'll, we'll, he can do it like, God's like, no, we'll do it my way. MacArthur says this, it is a profound lesson to learn that God's promises can only be fulfilled by God's power. And human efforts to affect his will, no matter how sincere or clever those efforts might be, are doomed to failure and bring God dishonor rather than glory. So Abraham and Sarah, they suffered the consequences for trying to do things in their own, but God is still faithful to fulfill his promises, which is really good news for you and I. But after the promise, after this this time where he's like, hey, what about Ishmael? We read what Abraham did. Verse 18, in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. I mean, he understood the situation. So it says he believed, hoping against all hope, right? What does that mean? The situation was hopeless. He's 100 years old. By this time, they've been probably trying to have kids for almost 75 years. Maybe 70 years, right? Now's not the time to have kiddos at this age. Verse 19, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dad. I love that. Like, it's a real realistic picture. Since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. What's this telling us? It was a bleak situation. There was no reason to have hope that they would have a child. There's no medical miracle they're waiting for, right? There, there's, not, there's not, you know, like, hey, well, this, is, this is the new thing. You can have kids at 90 and 100 by this. Like, they have no hope. This is the point. For all intents and purposes, their bodies are dead. But he believes. He believes. He understands that from a human perspective, their situation is hopeless. But he knows the God who makes out of death life and speaks things into existence. His focus is not on circumstances. His focus is on the God who promised. Verse 20, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced, why? That God was able to do what he had promised. Where did his faith come from? Not from his circumstances, but by believing that when God speaks, he is able to fulfill what he promises. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. He put his trust in the word of God. 
and who God is. He did not waver concerning the promise, but instead looked to God, giving glory to Him. He was convinced that God could do what He promised. He is a God who's faithful to His Word. God is not someone who says one thing and then does another. He's not a God who promises something only to have to ask for forgiveness later because he did not have the power to bring about the thing that he promised. God is always able to do what he says. And sometimes, like this situation, he makes circumstances so desperate that you are very clear that only God can do it. Like, I don't think anybody likes trials. Like, nobody's like, bring on the trials. I love them. But it is in the trials that you and I recognize that we are not in control. We recognize that we are really weak to be able to do anything. But God is able. And this is what Abraham clung to. Good for us to note here as well that he grew strong in his faith. What does that tell us? Faith is not static. We can be weak in faith or we can be strong in faith. We can grow in faith. How is it that you and I can grow in faith? Can I exhort you this morning that you grow in faith by growing in your knowledge of God? I mentioned last week, I'm reading Revelation for until I get it done, right? I'm not sure how long it's going to take. Still in chapter 1, 10 days in. But here's the thing that I'm seeing over and over again in that first chapter. He's showing the reader who Jesus is. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the first and the last. Do you see that he holds the churches in his hand? Do you see that he's sovereign over all? Do you see his power? Do you see that when I seen him, I fell down like a dead man? Like he is so powerful. And why is he doing that? Because he's writing to churches who are under extreme pressure. And he's about to tell them that this God is the God who is over everything. And he is more than powerful enough to get us to the end. So get your eyes on him. If you're weak in faith today, could it be that you have a small view of God? Or could it be that you're making God into somebody that he is not? How many people are disillusioned in their faith today because they believe things about God that are not true? Things that he has not said of himself. Or taking things as promises that were never promises. Like, if you think that God guarantees you health, show me that in the Bible. A whole lot of sick people in the Bible. If you think that God guarantees that you're never going to have trials, then why did he say, in this world you will have trouble? God has told us over and over again that we're going to have struggles. God does not guarantee you perfect children. I know that this pandemic has stretched you as parents. Look to God. 
you be consistent, you point them to the gospel, and then leave the results to him. He is able. Trust, put your trust in him for your kids. Stott says this, faith always looks at the problems in light of the promises. As Abraham's mind played on the promises, the problems shrank accordingly, for he was fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. As God sanctifies us, as he makes us more like him, daily you need to look at the promises of God and then live accordingly. And then keep track of God's faithfulness in your life. So that when the next trial comes, you can say God has been faithful in the past. I know he's faithful in the present and he will get me through in the future. That's how we grow in our faith. Well, it's really interesting as we think about Abraham as he tried to live out things in the flesh, tried to take God's promises and say, okay, well, I guess I'm supposed to do this. You and I can be tempted to do the same thing, trying to live out our faith in the flesh. Paul talks about this in Galatians, Galatians 4, 21 to 23. He says this, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, in other words, you who desire to try to earn your way into heaven, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Ishmael illustrates the product of a legalistic human self-effort. Whereas Isaac illustrates the product of God's sovereign and gracious provision. Paul reminds us that when we place our trust in Jesus Christ, we are children of the promise. And so we walk by faith and not according to the flesh. Another way that Paul puts it in Galatians is that we walk by the Spirit and not according to the flesh. And so on a daily effort, a daily Daily, day in and day out, you and I need to walk in faith if we're going to become more and more like Jesus. Well, just as Abraham believed that God would bring life out of death, all believers today believe the same thing. This brings us to our last point, the salvation by our faith. The salvation by our faith. Verse 23. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours only. Just as his faith was credited to him as righteousness, for you and I today, when we place our faith in him, it is credited to us as righteousness. How is his righteousness counted to us? Verse 24. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our transgresses and raised for our justification. Just as God brought life out of death in Abraham's situation, we too believe that God brings life out of death. 
that he counts it as righteousness to all who believe in the Father and what he accomplished through Jesus. The Father raised Jesus from the dead. If there is no resurrection, then there is no hope. Today, all those who have been made right with God believe that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses. He was delivered up for our transgressions. He was delivered up for our trespasses. Now, as you read the Gospels, you think about this delivering up, you might think it was Judas. Judas delivered up Jesus to the Pharisees. The Pharisees delivered up Jesus to Pilate. And Pilate delivered up Jesus to the people, ultimately, to the Romans to be crucified. But the Scripture is reminding us that it was the Father who delivered up Jesus for our trespasses. He made him to be the substitution for our sins. MacArthur puts it like this, The Father counted Jesus to have committed all the sins of all those who would ever repent and believe in him. He did not actually make Jesus a sinner, for God cannot sin. Instead, the Father judiciously reckoned Christ to have committed the sins of those for whom he was giving himself as a substitute. Just as our righteousness comes from God crediting it to us, God took our sins and credited them to Christ, and he became the substitute for you and I. We also believe that just as the Father delivered up Jesus to be crucified, we also believe that he delivered him on the third day and caused him to come to life again. Schreiner says this, to say that Jesus was raised because of our justification is to say that his resurrection authenticates and confirms that our justification has been secured. It's over. The work is complete. That's why you and I can have hope today. We can have confidence that we will be saved. Why? Because the work is completed. And if you placed your faith in him, then you are saved. You are saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved on the last day. Well, what about my works? It has nothing to do with our works. Do we understand that? It has everything to do with your faith. John 20, 29, Jesus said to him, this is Jesus talking to Thomas, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus is talking about you and I. He says you are blessed today if you believe that Christ is who he says he is, that you believe that he died and rose again. You are blessed today. How are you saved? Through faith alone. It's not faith plus anything. Do we understand that? Let me ask you this question. Can you identify anything in your life or ministry that you are tempted to think gives you a standing before God? Let's be honest. We still really want to hold on to our works. I think I'm pretty good with God right now. Ten days in and I've done my deeds every day this year. God must be really pleased with me. 
I, I, I've served like almost every week. God must be really pleased with me. We think this way all the time. Now, as we've seen with Abraham, if you are justified, you are going to do good works. You will grow in him, but it's all for his glory. It's all through him. Anytime you and I are involved in the equation, think about Lot, think about Hagar. Not going to turn out well. But when we are walking in faith in him, then it turns out really well. If your salvation is based on good works, can I just remind you what Jesus said? First, that your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees. Now we're like, well, I don't know. I think I, think I probably, probably could do that. Then later he says what? Matthew 5, 48. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Anyone here perfect? If you're not perfect, then there is no way you're getting into heaven apart from faith in Christ alone. That's how it works. As we look back on history, we see that God is the creator of all life. You're sitting here today, I believe, I don't know, maybe all of you, maybe some of you, I don't know. Only God knows your heart. But I believe most of you here today are sitting here as people who were dead, who have now been made alive. Just as Abraham believed that God would bring life out of death, you believe. In fact, you think about Abraham, gets closer to the end of his term on this life, in, in this earth, Isaac is probably 12, 13. God says to him what? I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac. What's Abraham do? He walks in faith. Takes takes Isaac up to that mount and is about to sacrifice his son. And God says, no, that's okay. You don't need to do it. And we read in the New Testament a little bit more insight into that. He was willing to even kill his son. Why? Because he could re- believe that he could raise him back to life. That's how convinced he was of who God was at that point in his life. My prayer for you is that you would continue to grow in faith. That you would look to the author of life. Listen, there's lots of reasons for you and I to go buggy. Right? Right now. There, there's a lot of, I mean, you want to just look at your circumstances? Not great. But if you want to look to God, as Abraham looked to God, then I believe we got great days ahead of us. Because we know the author of life. He was responsible for the first creation, but listen, There's a new creation coming. And he is taking, he's still sovereign over everything that's going on right now. He's sovereign over all the circumstances you find in your life. And he's saying to you, trust me. Trust me. Put your faith in me. I am able to do all that I say that I can. Right? Place your trust in him. And then you will truly know the meaning of life. To grow in your love and knowledge of Him and to represent Him to all 
the lost and dying in this world. That's why we're here, to bring Him glory and honor and to know life and have it abundantly in Him. Let me pray. God, we thank You so much for today. Thank You for Your Word. God, this morning we're asking that You would increase our faith. Lord, we know that there are times, Lord, where we have been like Abraham. We've tried to do things on our own. We've tried to even do godly things on our own, only, Lord, to, to fall on our face. God, we thank you that you're always faithful to your promises. We're thankful that even right now, God, you are doing a great thing. And Lord, if we would just keep our eyes on you, Lord, we would see you bring life over and over again. Lord, life as we tell our friends and family and co-workers and whoever, you, Lord, you place in our path about the fact that, Lord, they can be reconciled to you. That, Lord, though they are dead spiritually, they can be brought to life if they would just place their faith in you. Lord, I pray that our faith will be strengthened, Lord, as we learn more about who you are in this coming year. Lord, help us to see, a, see you in all your greatness. Lord, help us to, to grow in our love of you. Help us to be convinced on a daily basis that to place our faith in your word is best. And not to try to do things in our own strength, in our own ways, but Lord, to grow just as Abraham grew. Lord, that we might see you do great and mighty things. It's your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.